As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome back to We Are Not So Different, a podcast where I quite obviously have COVID. My name is Luke. <laughs> I am an amateur historian. Uh, <laughs> and as <laughs> I know even less than usual today, uh, and as usual, my co-host, Dr. Eleanor Yanega, who is anything but. Today, we're going to talk about uh, cities and city life in the Middle Ages. Uh, but first, we have a question uh, from one of our patrons, Ligma, who asks, uh, how did people in medieval Islamic civilization relate, relate to classical antiquity? People in Western civilization identify with Greek and Roman civilizations as their cultural ancestors, but I know the Muslims were reading a lot of the same sources. When a scholar in Baghdad read about the Greco-Persian War, which side would he have identified with? Did people in the Middle East think of themselves as inheritors of the Roman legacy like the Western Europeans and Byzantines did? This is a great question. Um, and the answer is, well, that all depends, right? So, you know, <laughs> you, you've already kind of hit the nail on the head here, which is that they are working all the time with sources from, yeah. you know, the, the like Hellenistic period, from, uh, you know, the Roman period. And they see themselves very much as in a dialogue with these things, especially when it comes to things like natural philosophy, right? So, you know, when you think about a lot of, like, the, you know, the big names uh, from, for example, the Islamic Renaissance, you're talking about uh, people who are, you know, building on, for example, um, Hellenistic ideas about uh, humors, you know, like, they're, they're really mm -hmm. kind of working with these same sort of medical texts all the time. Um, obviously, a lot of what is going on in terms of religious stuff is, you know, focusing on you know, 
Islamic stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, uh, talking about like, you know, the Hadith, uh, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also kind of see themselves, especially in what we would call kind of like the Middle East as like taking over from you know the like the the Mm. former empires and like you know the logical kind Mm. of inheritors of these things so um they're super super interested in outside influences they're really like um comfortable with letting various people kind of in right Mm -hmm. so um you know a lot of the time why we have a certain text um will be that they were translated out of greek and into you know an arabic or persian um, and sometimes even to, even into Sanskrit, stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're the ones who are, like, seeking out a lot of texts like this. Um, and they also, because of their, you know, fairly famous comfort with, you know, the people of the book, as it were. You know, like, mm-hmm. they've got lots of Christians in. And so they're kind of like, oh, yeah, well, I'm comfortable with, like, you know, working with the same sort of texts and things that you are working with. Like, you know, especially with the Eastern Church, like, they're really chill with Nestorians, for example. They really like that. There's a lot of kind of, like, mm-hmm. famous, um, even, you know, Christian scholars that are working in mm-hmm. the the um, uh, in the Islamic context. So, like, Humyane um, ibn Ishaq, for example, who's a, a Christian. Um, but they really, really like classical philosophy. So, um, I've already mentioned Galenic stuff, mm-hmm. like... Um, basically the Hippocratic school. Uh, but they also really like Ptolemy and Archimedes in particular. Hmm. Um, and this is because they're kind of like, they're, they're really into stuff like geometry, right? They're really mm-hmm. into um, the kind of like astronomy geometry side of things. So that's why they go hard on like Ptolemy and, and, and Archimedes. So, so like, those are the ones where they're like, Oh hell yeah. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're definitely like down for this. Um, but, you know, they also just feel like they are, because, you know, for religious reasons, they are like the new version of these things, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, well, we can bring people from the outside in and we can kind of like revere these individuals. But as opposed to kind of like the Christian way of thinking of things about like, oh, you're standing on the shoulders of giants and you're a logical continuation. These guys are like, well, we're not, we're kind of like the necessary break, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So it's like, here's a chance to do a better version of this um but you know they're not uh uh like in the same way um they're not as kind of like pressed about like the paganism bits of it because they're just kind of like hey dude we were a lot of us were like you know quote unquote pagan until five seconds ago right you know Mm -hmm. like and, and obviously you know um they would prefer that people were Islamic now, but you know, they're, they, they, it doesn't have the same kind of like a hand wringing that you see from Christians, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. So they're just more like, Oh yeah. Okay. Well I'm, I'm taking these things and this is going to be, this is going to be great. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the, the part, a big part of the reason why they are so great at like algebra and geometry and like trig and, you know, kind of like start off like calculus and stuff is because of their interest in, classical things but they're like and now it's time mm-hmm. for us to do it as opposed to being like you know christians are like we are still doing it and these guys are like it's better for us to do this we're a better place to do it and i, I guess that's my my generalized yeah. roundup. Yeah. yeah yeah no that makes sense yeah um yeah i i have any i have even less to add uh than i normally would but yeah, <laughs> that makes sense you poor um, thing Oh, my uh, man's out here is suffering. He's on the struggle uh, bus. I was yeah. really in the dumb bitch zone when I had 
COVID. I oh, have like I, brain fog all over the shop. I now. definitely do. I'm I'm moving. I'm moving at a good. I don't know, sixty percent. Um, yeah, yeah, in the brain category. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, thank you so much for the question, uh, Ligma. And uh, if you would like to uh, ask us questions, uh, you know, you know the deal. Uh, Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/wnsdpod. Five dollars a month, twenty episodes. You guys know the deal. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, in this episode, we are talking about uh, city life in the Middle Ages, and we're going to skip. Uh, we we might skip around to various cities uh, around the world to get a flavor for them. Probably going to uh, compare and contrast Constantinople and Rome a mm-hmm. good bit. Uh, this may go on for multiple episodes, just depending on how long it takes. Uh, but at least for today, you uh, won't be hearing much of me. Uh, as I said, I have yeah. COVID and feel like warmed over <laughs> shit. Uh, so you mostly get to hear Eleanor today, which is good since she's the expert. Uh, that means you don't get much in the way of an intro, but yeah. uh, intro here, but that's okay. Uh, just a couple of basic things about urban living in the middle ages that we've mentioned before. First people, uh, mostly in Europe, but also elsewhere began leaving cities in large numbers around the time of the collapse of the Western Roman empire. In the 450s AD, uh, second, cities were still vitally important, uh, both for political and mercantile purposes. So even though they did get smaller for a while, they still had some power. And third, uh, following the Black Death in the mid 14th century, uh, people did uh, begin to return to cities in large numbers. City, And in some cases, city populations were sometimes even higher following the Black Death because of the influx of so many new people, uh, you know, escaping the horrors of... Um, the countryside during mm-hmm. all that even mm-hmm. though the cities were also bad but you know uh at least you, you know. didn't have you know your landlord bossing you around in a city yep. yeah yeah yep and uh with that i will uh I'll turn it over to eleanor <laughs> hello yeah okay Hi. so like um i am here to wank on about cities um as is my want um and the thing that i guess that i, I t- i've uh, managed to talk uh luke into this because of my whole like city thing um and so i think that like uh you know as i say we're gonna do kind of roman constantinople but we'll probably do um a few of these so it's like you know we'll probably do a london and paris we'll probably do a kind of like get and bruges probably mm-hmm. like a vienna and pro you know you know like a logical mm-hmm. sets uh just because you know that's that's what i i enjoy doing and that's what's mm-hmm. fun for me um so I think that, like, a great place to start, obviously, is Constantinople and Rome, because really they are at, you know, the beginning of all of these things, mm-hmm. right? So when we kind of think about the, the tip over into the medieval period, obviously, like, the, the one of the big things there is, like, this idea of Rome. Um, and I'm always, mm-hmm. like, you know, on at everybody about how, like, Rome didn't fall, but, you know, whatever. So... We're going to start out with Constantinople. Um, we're going to stand out, start out with Constantinople when we think about like Constantinople and Rome for the obvious reason that Constantinople is more important mm-hmm. in the medieval period. Like, that's just true. Okay. Like, that's just true. Right. So um, and it's a it's a difficult one for people to kind of like get their heads, heads around sometimes. But right. So Constantinople obviously is founded by Constantine in 272. Uh, well, no, sorry, his reign begins in 272. Uh, in 324, which is a, mm. one of the dates that I can usually remember because it's a pretty good one. Um, <laughs> and we don't know a whole ton about, like, 
you know, like the, there was an already existing city there, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it like a kind of like Megara, right? Uh, but there wasn't much going on about it, and it kind of gets refounded. And the idea is that like, well, um, this is going to be a new capital for Rome, given that there's been a kind of like new consolidation under like the Christian Church. Let's start with a kind of like clean sweep, we're going to be a bit more Christian. And part of that is going to be this big new place to live. Mm-hmm. So Constantinople has got a really good position for this because, you know, as I keep saying, you know, the Eastern part of the empire, that's where all the taxes come from. Um, mm. So like, that's, that's really kind of like where you want to be. And they didn't want to like be down in Egypt, you know, because of all like the unpleasantness with the Ptolemaic empire and things like that. So, you know, <clears throat> Constantinople is, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a good place because it's got like, you know, a good trade routes. It's on the sea. You can move things back and forth really quickly. And so that's going to be good, right? Um, so it is kind of, it very much does what you think it's going to do. It's a kind of Christianized version of a giant imperial city. And it has like, absolutely new um new churches new buildings but it's carrying over all of the same kind of traditions that rome is having at first so it's like Mm -hmm. that is basically kind of like what's happening so um it's it's importance then massively increases when you start having the so-called barbarian invasions of the West, right? Mm. So, like, basically, emperors were not necessarily always resident in the city, even though it's meant to be the capital, um, before Rome, Rome falls, right? Mm -hmm. People are kind of, like, moving back and forth. There's different, like, parts of Thrace that maybe they like to go be fancy in. Uh, Some people kind of, like, prefer being around Rome. Um, Like, the Emperor Valens apparently hated it. Like, really, Mm -hmm. really didn't like it at all. Um, And basically was just like, this is not a place that I choose to be. Um, So, it's... It really kind of, like... increases in terms of desirability in terms of like a, the place to be when you have rome fall in the west right and mm-hmm. but that which is kind of ironic because it's not even rome at that point it's ravenna right um mm. so basically um you have in 378 the battle of adrianople uh adrianople that's right that's how mm-hmm. you say it um and it this like uh basically absolutely wax a lot of the Roman empires. Uh, the Visigoths actually like, just fucking take them down, right? Like, mm-hmm. And so Constantinople is like, you know what, buddy? We are about to like build some walls. We're going to like... <laughs> We've talked about the walls before. And the walls end up being like this really, really big deal because they are so incredibly effective. Go listen to our other our other fucking thing about this, right? Like, we don't mm-hmm. have to go on it. But what that manages to do is kind of keep a contiguous hole that people can come into. And people do come into it. So people come into it, like, from all over other parts of the empire that are kind of, like, falling to barbarians. So it's like, if you see yourself as a fancy lad, and you see yourself as particularly Roman, and you don't want to hang out with a bunch of Visigoths, you, you know, because you're racist or whatever, mm-hmm. um, then you're like, okay, well, fuck it. Off I go to Constantinople. And there's some good reasons for doing this. First of all, you're going to be really well defended but also they do all kinds of interesting civic stuff like make sure that everyone has grain to eat like they are still have a really big tax base and so it's like a thing where you can actually not starve 
right? And you get all the kind of like imperial delights that you would expect to see. So you get uh, chariot racing and you get a lot of theater. You get all of these great things. So it's a really heavy center for the arts. Um, it's also a really heavy center for slaving. Because they do be Roman, right? Yeah. Like, they're Romans. So we know that there's, like, really, really heavy trafficking, especially in the kind of, like, earlier medieval period of slaves specifically into Rome. Um, the Vikings are really big on this, but, you know, also, like, the Slavs will do it, like, the Visigoths will do it, mm-hmm. all kinds of things. And, you know, there'll be slaves for all sorts of reasons. Like, um, I've, the biggest reason that you kind of will have enslavement around this uh, period of time is to do agricultural labor kind of in the surrounds. Mm-hmm. But in um, Constantinople itself, it's like guards, dancers, um, sex workers, all kinds of pleasure things, right? Because mm-hmm. it's kind of like known as this seat of really interesting stuff that's going mm-hmm. on, right? So... Um, under like things like this, you know, like you, we've talked about. Have we talked about the Nika riots? Before? Talked about what? The Nika riots? Am I? Uh, maybe briefly. I don't really. We we really should uh, have done just uh, an episode on all the riots of Constantinople. Those fucking people loved to just. They're like L. A. Fucking mad. They're like the L. A. of the Middle Ages. They just yeah. love. They love a fucking riot. What can I say, yeah. man? Um, uh. Yeah, so I guess, well, well, we can do we can do this. So it's like, I, I love talking about the Nika riots, right? Um, mm. And they happen under Justinian, who is emperor from 527 to 565. And the reason why the Nika riots are really important to understand, like in terms of the 6th century, is because it lets you know how Roman Constantinople is, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, basically... Chariot racing is a really, really big deal. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, basically, they have four major, four teams in mm-hmm. uh, in Constantinople. You've got uh, the Blues, the Greens, the Reds, and the Whites. Okay, the Blues mm-hmm. and the Greens are the biggest ones, but that's, that's what you've got, right? Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like the background. They've got a huge hippodrome that's just outside the, the palace. This is, like, what's going on there, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, basically... Um, Justinian is in the middle of kind of like massive legal reforms. He's -hmm. been really, really successful in a lot of wars. And he's like, okay, well, uh, one of the things that he's done is he's kind of like retaken some of the African diocese. um, And like he has all of like these kind of generals who are out there trying to kind of ensure that this happens, right? Um, So... um, they have like a big victory in 534 and they managed to get the temple treasure of Jerusalem uh, back from the Vandals in Carthage, right? And it's mm-hmm. brought to Constantinople, okay? Um, and it's kind of like put in, like, it's put there for a while. And so, like, everyone's tensions are kind of like really up about this, right? It eventually goes back mm-hmm. to Jerusalem. So, anyway, you've got these big. Uh, you've got these big chariot races and political sentiment is often tied to specifically the chariot teams. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they basically will, you will use kind of the chariot teams to advance particular things. And you support various chariot teams based on what it is that you want. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because charioteers are so popular, they're able to criticize um, they're able to do a lot of criticizing of the government, criticize the emperor and stuff like that, because you wouldn't dare kill a mm-hmm. charioteer, right? So it's, it's like one of these things, right? Um, so 
as you can kind of see from the fact that, you know, you've got all of these relics that have, like, come up that should be in Jerusalem and things like that, there are a lot of questions about what the fuck Christianity is and what it's doing, mm-hmm. right? So, um, at the, it, during this time, one of the big issues is that there is a kind of uh, question between Orthodox, what we would call Orthodox Christianity, and monophysism, uh, which it's like, basically, that the divine, div- like, divinity is the only nature, and so, like, all of nature is divine in and of itself, um, and so, like, everything that you see around you is divine. This does not go down well with Christianity because, you know, some things are also evil. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, the blues and the greens were basically kind of, like, taking varying stances on this. Kind of, like, orthodox stuff and uh, mono stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so... This spills out into, like, street violence, and there are, like, a lot of muggings. Um, Some people actually get, like, killed, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, and, like, that, Justin is like, okay, well, that is it. You can't go around writing about religion, and you can't go around, like, killing people. And so, basically, uh, he condemns a bunch of the blues and the greens to death. And everyone is like, what the fuck, bro? Like, you can't, mm-hmm. like, th- these are our guys who we use to yell at you about politics. You can't kill them. And a blue and a green kind of, like, get away. And they, like, claim, they claim sanctuary in a church, right? And mm-hmm. then, basically... What happens is that there is then a huge, huge riot at the Hippodrome where everyone just fucking loses their goddamn shit like during a, a, a like during a chariot race, and they decide that they're gonna go for the emperor, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> quite funny. Um, and they kind of like there. It is a big riot, but it also has a specific kind of like political and religious message because like they mm-hmm. are trying to kind of like attack the walls of the emperor. They go and they like burn down specific kind of like civic buildings. They're like really doing these targeted kind of political decisions, like saying, "Well, these are the things that we support, and like you, you can't like you can't do these things, right?" Mm-hmm. So. When all is said and done, after, like, a number of, like, days, right, like, it's, I I think basically it's three, it's, like, three days? Anyway, it's a number of days. A lot of people fucking die. Um, And we Mm -hmm. are talking that there are some people who, like, they've said that the kill count is as high as, like, 10,000, which is probably too big. But we do think that Mm -hmm. around, like, 3,000 people died. And so this is important. This is an important story about... uh, Constantinople for many reasons because what you see is you've got these complex questions of religion that are spilling out into political things you've got charioteers that are so incredibly important that everyone will just like riot and like tear shit up you've got Mm -hmm. a political net which allows people to kind of do things within the specific ways and you've got a city big enough that 3,000 people can get got Mm -hmm. in physical violence and the city's still there right like, the mm-hmm. city's still there. And this was an incredibly close-run thing. Like, they almost, almost got Justinian. There, like, there was a while where people were like, we are going to fucking, like, like, like we need to, like, flee the city. We've got to get out now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, uh, Justinian ends up not doing that. Um, he kills a lot Didn't of... Didn't his wife talk him into yeah, it? it? She was like, nut up, bucko. Yeah, basically. The- Theodora yeah. was like, fuck you. Like, you cannot, like, be... Like, if you yeah. run away and live, you're not going to be the emperor. I, yeah, I didn't escape the life of a sex worker to die in a dungeon like this, you dipshit. Yeah, like, fucking <laughs> pull it together, right? So, yeah. like, 
And then basically, like, Justinian kills a bunch of people um, who are involved, and they, like, crack down on it. Um, but, you know, these these stories about how many people died, like, mm-hmm. um, gosh, actually, I just underestimated it. It's 30,000 people, not 10,000 people that they say died. Jeez. Like, that's how many people are in Constantinople. Mm-hmm. Like, like, in, that's crazy for this time. Yeah, like, absolutely. it had five hundred. It had about five hundred thousand people around here. I think it was. I think it's uh, considered by most to be the largest city in the world. Yeah, at the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And like, um, this is when you get the new Hagia Sophia gets built because the old mm-hmm. one gets burnt down in the riots. So it's like, after this, you get this kind of like move into what you and I kind of think of when we think of like Constantinople. It's like, oh yeah, Hagia Sophia and the big walls and all these things. Like that's mm-hmm. that's basically what what is happening. Um we in the early medieval period then kind of like don't know tons for the normal reasons of, you know, the Dark Ages we ain't got the sources. Uh the stuff gets kind of like confusing around in this mm-hmm. time. It's like you have stuff like um uh, you have your things such as um, iconoclasm, which I've talked about before, where, you know, there's kind of like big religious questions that kind of go back and forth. And we know a little bit about that, but it's like testament again to like our lack of sources uh, about this, where it's like we don't even really know why they brought iconoclasm in. We're guessing mm-hmm. about that. So you have things like that. Um, it's constantly under siege by like Sassanids and Avars and, you know, all the rest of the people that you expect to kind of like show up. Uh, in the Peloponnese and in places like that, like, but uh, the Theseusian walls fucking whip, so like nothing happens. Um, mm-hmm. Then you have uh, the Macedonian Renaissance. Yeah, fucking this whips a lot. So this starts in the eighth century from uh, seven seventeen to ten twenty five. Uh, Leo the third does like a big bunch of repairs on the walls. Um, which is cool. Uh, and but he finances this by taxing the empire, <laughs> really hard, <laughs> which people are like less about, right? But yeah. what it kind of does is it encourages people into the city again because it's like, well, if all my money is gonna like go on this, then I I would like to to enjoy it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have lots of um, you have more palaces getting rebuilt. Uh, you have a big kind of re kind of framing uh, with Constantinople kind of like underneath things. But there's also this sort Mm -hmm. of like reframing in terms of like who they are dealing with. So at this point in time, um, you have a lot of back and forth with like Kievan Rus. Um, Mm -hmm. You have a lot of uh, more trade involved, more specifically with uh, Vikings. You have like all of these big things, which also, again, would make you want to live in Constantinople, right? Because if you're living Mm -hmm. on any river around this point in time, you never know when a Viking might come and like scoop you up and enslave you. Right. So it's like, you want to get inside the walls where those slaves are being sold. You don't want to be the ones that's getting sold. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in this period that you have stuff like the, uh, Vangarian warriors when the Vikings mm-hmm. come and like move there, they, they have like a whole regiment of like 6,000 come in. Um, and anyway, my point is that it is very cool and good and people like it a lot. Um, so uh, then you kind of get into the fact that the empire do be waning. Mm-hmm. It do be waning, right? So um, not only do you have like the Seljuk Turks, uh, kind of like around uh, the 11th century or so, uh, but you have like the collapse of kind of 
defensive systems that are like further out in the empire not the walls themselves but just like the idea that you should have kind of like garrisons of armies that are pr- pr- protecting the capital right mm-hmm. um and this you know leads to a couple things like this is what gets you the crusades and this is kind of like what gets you the then entrenched position of kind of like islam against mm-hmm. byzantium right but it is kind of testament to how good Constantinople is and how good life is in Constantinople that it remains there, right? Mm -hmm. So even when you're in, like, uh, a place where you're constantly fighting with people, even when you find yourself kind of surrounded by hostile troops, and, like, sometimes some of those are, like, Christians uh, who Mm -hmm. have come to get to uh, the, the Holy Land and stuff, it's still, like, a nice enough life that things are going well. And indeed, in this period after things kind of calm down a little bit and like the Islamic societies kind of are flourishing, they've lost a lot of tax, but they get really good trade Mm -hmm. as a result. So this is a good kind of place to live. And if you are moving spices back and forth, um, if you are selling um, or importing luxury goods, there's a lot of luxury good importation. Um, and mm-hmm. that becomes clear and you, you know that this becomes clear because suddenly you have like Venetians showing up mm. <laughs> and uh, Venetians, as we will get to when we talk about Venice, are an interesting bunch because uh, they really are. Um, I mean, they're kind of like pirates to a certain extent, like they're big slavers as well, but they're big traders. Mm-hmm. And anytime anyone is doing well, Venetians are like, hey, and they set up a colony. Right. So they've got lots of colonies kind of like around Constantinople. Um, and Constantinople then uh, does a really smart thing, which it does a lot of trade with the Italian city-states. They go, okay, well, um, we are going to need to kind of figure out where it is we sit in this kind of new world, right? With, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, considering that uh, there are all of these uh, Islamic people over on one side. Well, these guys have ships. We can just kind of like post up, allow, like tax the shit out of them. Takes the shit out of them for, like, wanting to get through the Bosphorus Straits into the Black Sea, uh, where they can, like, trade with, uh, you know, the cons and people like that. And they start making really, really good money um, on that. And it kind mm-hmm. of brings about a new boom, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like, uh, and you, you see all kinds of, like, wonderful things happen. And, and this is where you, Byzantium really, and Constantinople in particular, gets seen as a particularly colorful place as a result of this so it's mm-hmm. like you have like you, you have stuff like lions and elephants being traded through constantinople um mm-hmm. you have like silk coming in and spices you have furs and wool coming in from the west so it's like it's just like in it, like the west looks at it and is like this is the place to be Mm-hmm. Right. So, for example, you will see over in Venice, they are constantly are trying to mimic what's going on in Constantinople. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, well, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to do mosaics, too, because like Constantinople does mosaics. So if you go <laughs> to like St. Mark's, you, you can see there's these old mosaics there. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's that's what we want. Um, their silks and things are really, really sought after specifically. So like they are able to set up kind of like big silk workshops. And this becomes the sort of thing that people will try to kind of like uh, mimic. Um, mm-hmm. When the Norman courts in Sicily get set up or in the 12th century, they are specifically trying to be Byzantine. 
again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you have at court, you know, you're going to have, like, Kievians, you're going to have Venetians, uh, you're going to have people kind of like moving back and forth from the Amalfi Coast, and at the same time, you do have people from the East as well. So it's like really an incredible place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got a standard of living that you don't see anywhere else in Europe at the time, frankly. Um, yeah. And so it's it's pretty, pretty great. Um you have the issues with like Crusaders sacking them. We've kind of like talked about that already back and forth. But fundamentally, up until the Pelagian era, which starts into kind of like the 13th century, this is still an incredibly important place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a luxurious place. Um, eventually, um, you have the, um, the Pelagian era. So that like Michael Eighth, which I always think is a hilarious name, just like Michael. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. gets like gets Constantinople back after all of the trouble with uh, you know the Latins kind of like sacking Constantinople mm-hmm. because they want nice stuff too. Um, but it's at that point in time where stuff becomes difficult because it loses a lot of its key economic resources. Mm-hmm. Like basically trade with the West then is like they don't trust the West anymore. And you can kind of like understand why and so by the time like michael takes back over there's only about thirty-five thousand people inside and when you consider that like maybe about that many people like were killed in the nico riots like that's a real come down you know 600 years later <laughs> we do think that like eventually they, they got the uh the the population back up to about seventy thousand people but it's also quite interesting and instructive because it's like well after like the latins get in there and fuck shit up like it it has the city's population so doing things in this particular eastern way was much more conducive to having like this large population right which is kind mm-hmm. of like what's going on um but then, like, stuff just gets really bad because they have a series of military defeats. Um, there are all kind of earthquakes. There's, like, big national, de- like, you know, you have the Black Death. You just have, like, thing, 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 thing happen. So by the mm-hmm. time the Turks show up um, and actually, like, gank them in, for, in 1453, like, they're, like, everyone's quite tired. And they had been going through, you know, like, 200 years of kind of, like, you could say managed decline. Mm-hmm. If you were going to be uncharitable. Having said that, right, mm-hmm. for the majority of the medieval period, if you were going to live in a city, you want to live in Constantinople. Mm-hmm. Constantinople yeah. is the one. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
right? Constantinople is always yeah. the one. But it's really interesting to kind of like compare and contrast that then with um, medieval Rome. Okay. Mm-hmm. So medieval Rome is a really, really interesting one uh, because when the medieval period starts out, it's like not important. so like but like as a city it's not important right you know as i say the capital of western rome is in ravenna uh which i have Mm -hmm. never been to and which i where i would like to go um and it had been kind of ground down but it is important as a site within the christian imagination Mm -hmm. okay um but what kind of keeps rome together in this period is literally its city walls yeah um and that's interesting right because for the majority of like rome like if you're talking about the empire of rome or you know anything like that rome is unwalled yeah right so it's just like yeah well what do you oh what are you gonna do march an elephant in here oh shit yeah fuck oh you are (laughs) dead well never mind right so like they they but like towards the end of the antique period you have walls get put up so it's first Mm -hmm. um fortified by aurelian um in the third century and then um anortus uh redoes them in 402 when the goths are kind of like threatening mm-hmm. things right and then so in 402 when they're redone those become like the contiguous whole you can say that rome is here right because there are fucking <laughs> walls right um yeah. and like rome gets captured over and over and over but it also kind of like saves them from invasions of the type where it would like really change its character right so like what is interesting is that like ancient rome and medieval rome are just not the same thing and this contributes a lot to people's ideas about the middle ages being bad because they're like oh well if you are not seeing a bunch of enslaved people kill each other in the coliseum stuff's bad uh, mm-hmm. that now the Colosseum still exists, but like, um, it is not used for the same things. So the Colosseum, for example, eventually gets turned into apartments, <laughs> which I really love. I think it's better. I think it's, did it really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, like people were like living in there. They're like fucking whatever. Dude, I live here now. Fuck <laughs> you. Awesome. Right. Um, yeah. but like it basically, has all these kind of uh, varying things that happen to it, right? So it's still the center of Christendom for the West, right? Fundamentally, like th- this is is kind of like true. So civic life in Rome for the 5th century after it collapses, it's pretty much the same, right? So you still got the same buildings around, but they're not being repaired, right? Um, mm-hmm. You still have, like, all the big churches. Uh, you've got, like, big monasteries. You've got all these kind of things. Um, and, like, e- even within this, there will be people who kind of, like, say, all right, well, we want to redo Rome, like, because it's so important in terms of the way that Europeans see themselves, right? Mm-hmm. They're, like, the thing that you want to do is you want to be connected to Rome. So, like, when the Ostrogoths take over, the Ostrogoths are, like, oh, yo, like, what we're going to do is we are going to, like, try to, like, rebuild some of these buildings that are falling apart and stuff because we want everyone to know that, like, we are in charge of things, right? Um, And basically, they kind of, like, carve up Italy, the Ostrogoths, into, like, 
little duchies and things like that, but Rome is still kind of there, right? So they kind of take over uh, Ravenna in particular, but mm-hmm. Rome still is important because that's where the papacy is. Um, yeah. And so, like, we think that there is a pretty big drop-off, though, in terms of what the population is. Mm-hmm. So we think that, like, around the beginning, you have about, like, maybe half a million people, maybe, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the of the period. Um, and this is kind of, like, referenced, like, you know, in certain works that we have, like, for example, Pope Gregory the Great kind of, like, talks about how there used to be that many people and now there are fewer right Mm -hmm. um he talks about things like how they have to like shore up various aqueducts to keep them working and how they're like really kind of um they're kind of trying to work to keep rome as you know an important place um Mm -hmm. and gregory the great we call him gregory the great because he is really linked specifically to kind of like what the foundation of medieval Rome is. And indeed, he's one of the first people who kind of starts getting the church going as a legal entity, which is kind of like what saves Rome from becoming nothing, right? So um, it he basically is saying that this is going to be a place where once it might have been important in terms of politics, now it's going to be important in terms of of religion which is an ultimately political statement to make obviously Mm -hmm. right um so he's the one who's like uh you know popes are good everybody comes see popes um they do a lot of uh work at this time in terms of pumping out papal propaganda so you have stuff like the liber pontificalis that comes uh from this where it's like popes writing about popes and like (laughs) then they're like oh yeah and popes are super important and good and you should definitely like like them right they do a lot of bigging up um you know for example the bodies of saints that they have there trying to get people to come on pilgrimage and Mm -hmm. what ends up happening with rome very interestingly is you build then at this time a city that is more or less built on a the churches here but b also tourism because people will go to Rome, right? So people go to Rome as like, it's the second biggest place that all Christians want to go. Well, well Catholics want to go to on pilgrimage after Jerusalem. It's like they want to go to Jerusalem. Failing mm-hmm. Jerusalem, they want to go to Rome. So it becomes this place where people still want to go see it in the same way that they do now, right? Mm-hmm. So um, basically, it has a kind of hard time in the 6th century. Uh, like the Goths, are fighting all the time with like Constantinople over Rome because Constantinople is kind of like, well, I think you'll find this is my puppet emperor and my puppet Pope. And yeah. like, and I own all these things. And the Goths are like, Hey, fuck you. I've got a mustache and I'm taking over. <laughs> and like, that's what's going on. Um, but by the seventh century, the popes have enough power that they mm-hmm. really rule Rome. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. Um, basically this is a really difficult situation in terms of people who live in Rome because they have to constantly be kind of like appealing to kings in order to shore this up, right? So mm-hmm. um, especially earlier on, before you have the Holy Roman Emperor, like you have to get people in to help you. So like uh, Pope Stephen III has to get like a Pepin, who's King of the France, in to uh, mm-hmm. Frank, sorry, King of the Franks, not King of the France, King of the Franks. And um, I like King of the France. Better, yeah, that's pretty good, right? The France, Le France. <laughs> I guess that's what they say. So, uh, yeah. 
So, and Pepin does this, and, you know, then he wants to look holy, so he's like, yo, I'm also going to give you a bunch of, like, Lombard territory, and that's going to belong to you. So this is really good for the popes, because it means that they can start siphoning wealth off of Lombardy and kind of, like, investing it into, like, what's going on for them in the city. Um, then Charlemagne, like, is does everybody a fucking solid by getting crowned by Leo the <laughs> Third, Right? Um, yeah. Now... The, the story of Leo III uh, crowning Charlemagne is an important one, though, for us to kind of understand what's going on in Rome, though, right? Because mm-hmm. Leo III is able to be in Aachen, like, crowning Charlemagne because he had got his ass beat down in the street in Rome. <laughs> so, um... Rome's important because the Pope is there, but that doesn't mean that everybody likes the Pope. And the Popes are basically chosen from, like, the two major Roman cities. Uh, Sorry, the the two major Roman families. And it's like, either you're coming from one or you're coming from the other. And, like, that is, is like, how, just, like, how it be, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, Leo III was not particularly popular uh, because uh, people thought that, like, you know, someone from the, uh, the... opposing family should have been um, Mm -hmm. uh, he should have been uh, taken on as Pope instead. So he gets his ass beat up in the street Um, he gets uh, saved by uh, Duke uh, Winograce Spoleto um, who then like kind of passes him on to Charlemagne and that's how it happens. But this kind of tells you something about Rome at the time, right? So Rome Mm -hmm. nominally is under the protection of Popes, but the Popes can't even protect themselves. And you have a lot of kind of like beef back and forth between rival families, which can terrorize anyone, anyone, Mm -hmm. if they want to, if they really, really want to. So Charlemagne getting involved is super important here because it's like saying, it's kind of like setting up what will become the Holy Roman Empire and what the situation is. And it's also saying Mm -hmm. like the Pope is really important and he's the guy who's connected to the emperor, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So as things kind of like build on this, you, the papacy incre- increases importance. And the mm-hmm. more important the papacy is, the more money comes into Rome, right? Um, yeah. And this kind of, like, is what sets them up as a city center. So you'll have pilgrims who are coming in from wherever. Because the papacy has a lot of money, you have people who are set up as merchants in order to facilitate them. So you'll have a lot of trade back and forth in order to, like, help the church out with, you know, would you like a gold thing? Yeah. The church says, yes, I would like to have a gold thing, right? Um, when yeah. you have papal elections, all of the cardinals have to come from everywhere. And, like, it's basically, like, a fair. And everyone, like, kind of comes in and is like, woo, yeah, right? Like, that <laughs> sounds good to me, right? Um, and, like, in the 11th century, stuff starts improving a lot for Rome in the way that it does for cities across Europe at the time Mm -hmm. um this is you know they feel figured out the three field system yes they've got you know like heavy plows (laughs) happening yes and because the papacy is bringing money in from all over europe because they get to do tithes and stuff like that that means Mm -hmm. rome booms in the same way that all other cities do except that it's got this like built-in cash cow of the church right so that means that people will come live there even if they're not particularly drawn to the church or whatever it's just like nice for them right Mm -hmm. and then you also have the holy roman empire that comes up and so Mm -hmm. with the holy roman empire you know like when 
the Holy Roman Emperor needs to get crowned Holy Roman Emperor, he's got to come to Rome to do that. And that cements Rome as this important political place as well, even though, like, you know, the Holy Roman Emperors are mostly German, sometimes Czech, and, like, mm-hmm. hanging out somewhere else. They still really believe in Rome, and they want to make sure that it is unmolested, as unmolested mm-hmm. as it can be. Um, so, but that doesn't mean that everything is kind of like peachy. There's a huge popular rebellion, um, in 1143, (laughs) um, and they constitute then the commune of Rome. Hey, uh, so the commune of Rome is basically, we, we generally date to around 1144. Um, and it basically means that Rome improves its, center as like an administrative place right Mm -hmm. uh they they're saying okay well we want something and they they like they speak kind of like expressly about how um important rome was um Mm -hmm. like and they want to say okay well you know you see here how we used to rule the whole continent we should be allowed to do that this should be where things really are administered it should be the capital of the roman Empire and mm-hmm. the Commune of Rome is going to kind of like do that. Um, this does not last, <laughs> um, like <laughs> like like as a thing. So basically, um, the like the Roman families are like, I don't think so, buddy. So it's like the the Orsini, um, the Savelli, the Colonna. They're like, no, 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 no. Like the, mm-hmm. like you are not going to kind of like curtail what happens with us, and they kind of take back over. But then uh, mm-hmm. you basically have you know rome then becomes sort of like the place where you administer new crusades that are going to go out the pope kind of takes back over things um like they they manage to kind of muddle through but the pope is always kind of wary no matter who he is at this time because it's like well all these new city states are coming up and is that going to like take away our importance am i going to get kicked out as the ruler of rome or like what's going to to sort of happen here um then you have uh pope innocent the third who is um the pope that really made the church the big deal that it is um, mm-hmm. And it's at that point in time that you really solidify the fact that Rome is mm-hmm. where you have to go if you do a religious thing. Like he finally, yeah. he's the Pope that made Popes real. Like he builds on all the stuff that Gregory the Great did. He builds on the Libra Pontificalis. He does all these things and he's like, no, the church is a functioning state. And mm. this is the capital of that state. And you need to think about it like this. And what we do is we are a legal entity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this works out really, really well, right? So um, they do things in order to kind of like big up the city. Like uh, there's a jubilee that gets called in 1300. And it brings pilgrims from all over Europe to Rome. And it like gives mm-hmm. them tons and tons of money. Um, there's the bull Unum Sanctum that comes in in 1302. Um, and in this, the Pope is like, hey, uh, guess what? Um, I think this is Boniface VIII who does that. He's like, guess what? Uh, the Pope rules, number one. Uh, we not only have religious power, but we have temporal power. And we wield that out of Rome. So Romans are like, fuck yeah, homie. I love this. Like, this sounds really, really good mm-hmm. at first. But then they're like, well, like, that's kind of nice, but 
we are not kind of like seeing that like we are any kind of safer like this might be like a really important kind of like roman mm-hmm. seeds but things are not going so well for us and all hell breaks loose and mm-hmm. you have then a lot of killing <laughs> that starts uh, back and forth. So it's around the 14th century that um, you have like the Tribunate of Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, but it is not uh, like not the, the Roman one that you know so well, uh, but like the one of Cola di Rienzo. Uh, mm-hmm. And he is an interesting dude who, like, basically tries to bring back, um, he wants to abolish papal power, like, in a temporal Mm -hmm. sense, reunify in uh, Italy, specifically under Rome, and he wants to have kind of, like, nationalism, Mm -hmm. which is really, really interesting. So there's a big revolt in uh, 1344, and basically... They like they he wins and he's like okay well this is fantastic we we are going to like take the capital um, Mm -hmm. and we are going to start a parliament right this Mm -hmm. doesn't go down too well with the nobles and although (laughs) and he becomes the tribune of Rome right so like that's cool and Mm -hmm. he's like well what's up like we are about to like do it like Romans again he gets uh, Petrarch to be the poet laureate of Rome they're writing to Emperor Charles IV and they're like I think that you'll find that Rome is uh, actually like uh, where the center of everything should be and Charles IV is like yeah I'm putting you in jail homie Uh, (laughs) like that's thanks for coming to Prague here's your here's your castle cell right Um, everything falls Mm -hmm. apart as a result of this, all of the uh, the main uh, the main houses take back over, kill everyone that they can, and this is when you have Avignon happen. Mm. We'll probably get to Avignon at another time, but there's like a tremendous loss of life. There's civil war, and Avignon kind of happens because there is everyone is like, okay, I think that we need to kind of reassert Rome as a peaceful place under the power of the Pope. Uh, let's mm-hmm. get ourselves a nice uh, Roman pope in here, and and that that's going to solve the problems. It's going to calm the Italians down. Sure, they don't get to have their little pretend republic, but mm-hmm. they'll remember why it is that they're important, which is that they serve the pope, and then everything's going to be chill and good, and then they're going to like it. But then they don't even elect a Roman pope. They um, elect a dude from Naples who, by all accounts, is absolutely fucking insane and violent mm-hmm. and a bad person. <laughs> and so then like the french cardinals are all like yo like we were literally forced to vote for this guy and he sucks so you know we are going over to avignon and here's our pope and like that's how you get you know like they're like that's how you get the split later on but Mm -hmm. sorry i I jumped ahead sorry everybody i've got dumb bitch now i've caught dumb bitch through through skype uh (laughs) but the unrest in rome means that avignon happens and the popes peace the fuck out and they go, they mm-hmm. go over to Avignon, and Rome declines. Like it just, yeah. it just does. It just does. Like uh, because they don't have their little republic, they don't have anybody like running things. They've just basically got these uh, varying parties of like the Orsini's killing each other back and forth in the street. And it's not until you get your little pope anti-pope thing happening with you know the papal schism and everything that like some prestige starts to come back to rome 
mm-hmm. all of which kind of like brings us to the Renaissance, which is very, very interesting. And I do not believe it in it. But in the 16th century, <laughs> when you start like getting Rome back on a calm footing, it's part of this kind of like express political project on the part of the Italian city states to kind of like return the prestige mm-hmm. of Rome, which they think is also kind of like mirrored in Florence. Yeah. And Venice and places like that. So interestingly, the thing that kind of like helps Rome endure here is the story of Rome as the internal city, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it is kind of like a fucking mess a lot of the time in the medieval period. It's like one of the places where you have like the most wars back and forth, the most civil strife. You got a pope, you don't got a pope. Like he's in mm-hmm. Avignon now. Like there's like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. There's a schism now. There's three popes. One of them's in Pisa. What the fuck? You know, like you, you have all these things going on back and forth. But they're constantly like hearkening back to this idea of a golden period where they were important. So even when mm-hmm. it's not like the Pope's doing it, it's people like Cola di Rienzo doing it. Yeah. And yeah. that's why it's so fucking interesting. Like, actually, I will say that like one of the reasons I like medieval Rome is that it isn't important. It's, it's like in the same way that regular ass Rome was. It's batshit. <laughs> like it's absolutely crazy it's like well like you're it's run through with goths then the pope is like i'm important then he's getting his ass beat then people are all like uh i am the specific guy who supplies like sex workers to the church thanks very much i'm doing well oh no like the they're the nobles are brawling in the streets again like it is absolutely wild and it kind of serves if you were only to look at rome it would kind of like back up what stupid people say about the medieval period, right? About how like it's mm-hmm. violent and and everyone like it basically you lose this fractured piece. Um, oh, it's it's much smaller. It's not nice like it was under Rome. Like Rome, ironically, is like one of the only places for which that holds true. but like i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing i think it's kind of cool and i think it's interesting and so rome remains important and it's an important part of like church life and trade and that's where things kind of center but it's always tied to religious expectations to get it through the medieval Mm -hmm. period Mm -hmm. and if you want to call that bad you can call that bad i guess (laughs) So like the, I don't, yeah. so it's interesting too because these like if we look at Rome there Rome comes up on the ascendancy the minute Constantinople goes down. So like yeah. these two are kind of like pegged to each other because when things are going good for Constantinople things are going poorly for Rome and then it switches mm-hmm. over immediately <laughs> as well. Yeah. So you kind of can't yeah. talk about one without the other <laughs> because they're sort of like mirrors of each other in terms of what they're doing politically but like you know mm. in in you know Rome becomes the upside down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I read once that during the Western schism, when they moved the papacy to Avignon for a while, there were less than like 20,000 people in Rome. Mm -hmm. Like the population dwindled that far. And I mean, like it compared to Constantinople, which was, I mean, four four or five hundred thousand basically yeah and it's <laughs> for for a for a thousand years and it's like, so funny right because there'll be all kinds of things like uh you know cold Renzo trying to get the papacy back to rome even though he's mm-hmm. like i want you to know that they don't have any they don't have any actual physical power but they should definitely be in rome 
<laughs> where I can boss we're them around. Re- we're really important. Yeah. Really important. And you have people... Even if they suck, they're still important. And it's so funny because it's like, shit is so fucked up in Rome. And like, constantly, constantly, like, people are like, please, Popes, go back to Rome. And they're like, no, bro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm not going there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's on fire. Like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And, 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 like, it'll be a particular point of, like, reform within the church where they're like, you got to get out of Avignon, which is nice, and where you're having a nice time, and go mm-hmm. back to Rome where it fucking sucks, bro. It sucks so much. <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, like, but that's what makes it holy, right? Is that you, you need to yeah. go live there in that graveyard that's on fire. <laughs> and so, like, you know, Emperor Charles IV, he tries this. He's constantly trying to get the popes yeah. to go back to Rome, and they're like, no. 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 <laughs> and like, and, that, but, and that's how you get a schism, etc. Yeah. But I just, yeah, yeah. It's, sorry, I misspoke there. I jumped straight to schism, like, from Cola de Rion, no. which is incorrect. But uh, I love to talk about Cola. Love to talk about Rome. Love to talk about Constantinople. Love to talk about cities and, like, what makes them cool. Mm-hmm. Guys, I just fucking love cities, man. Yeah. Yeah, cities Cities are uh, cities are great. I do enjoy them. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's about the extent of what I can add. Uh, but, Eleanor, thank you so much for walking us through that. Uh, it was very informative. And next time we'll come back and uh, compare and contrast some more uh, medieval cities, talk about them, you know, like Eleanor said, maybe, uh, you know, Paris and London. Yeah. And, uh, you know, your Viennas and your Prague's mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. Oh, man, there's so many good cities, bro. Mm-hmm. We got to do mm-hmm. Avignon. Like, maybe we'll have to come back to Rome because I might have to do Avignon. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to do 14th century deep dive. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Sorry, yeah. everybody. Sorry I'm so excited about 14th century Rome, which sucked. <laughs> do not do not apologize. Uh, Rome is a swampy shithole. And it will always remain so. Hey. But uh, it does have a lot of history. Sure so do. You know, they got that going for them. uh yeah um thank you so much for listening uh i um yeah thank you so much for listening uh eleanor please uh you know do the the plugs uh, yeah okay <laughs> plugs so in the first place you can check me out on twitter at going medieval you can check out my blog going hyphen medieval.com i'm about to write something about snm for this week so Ooh. that should be fun um and you can buy my comic book the middle ages a graphic history pretty much wherever i don't know nice. buy from somebody nice i don't know nice yeah uh my name's luke you know the stuff uh luke is amazing on twitter yada 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 uh yeah thank you so much for <laughs> this guy he's got covid <laughs> he's such a trooper damn yeah thank you uh yeah um it what one of the greatest uh uh success stories in life in in all of human history is me doing, doing a, a podcast, podcast with, COVID. with covid that's right yeah 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 uh anyway thank you everyone so much for listening um and yeah we'll see you next time bye